Well, good morning, everybody. As always, it's uh, so very good uh, to see you and welcome you into God's house as we worship him together. I want to invite you to open your Bibles uh, to Paul's letter to the Romans, and we are in chapter 8, verses 26 through 30, as we continue to uh, work our way through this amazing, uh, amazing letter that Paul wrote. Let's read the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of God and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Catherine and her husband wanted a child more than anything. After five years of very difficult uh, efforts in so many different ways, they finally conceived. And a few months later, they they learned that it was a girl. And they decided they were going to name her after Catherine's mother, who had died when Catherine was an infant. And all through the pregnancy, they were waiting and expecting. They, they did all the right things. They read all the books about what to expect when you're expecting. They, they prepared this dream nursery that had everything, including the large letter initials on the wall. I mean, it was just this perfect, perfect scenario until the day that their daughter was stillborn, suffocated by the umbilical cord. And the memory of her still blue body crushed them with guilt. In their horrible pain, Catherine and her husband began to lash out at each other and their marriage began to fall apart. A few months later, Catherine's husband began an affair at work. And shortly after that, she discovered some emails and confronted him. And he responded by attacking her and blaming her. And shortly after that, by filing for divorce. Within a year, he is remarried and he has a child, a little girl. And so Catherine's dream life is now being lived by another woman. Catherine is a believer in Jesus Christ. What would you say to her in the midst of her agonizing suffering? Many of you today are here and you know unbelievable suffering. You too have lost a child. Maybe you've lost someone to cancer. Maybe you have cancer now. Maybe It's in your life that you were abused and abandoned as a child, or maybe your spouse abused and abandoned you. Maybe you live even today with chronic physical pain or debilitating depression, and maybe you're here today and you look at that pain and you do not understand why. 
because you believe in Jesus and you trust that he is real and he is powerful and, and, and you look at your life and the truth is not everything is pain and suffering. You have received God's blessing. You have seen God answer prayers in your life, but you are asking the question why. You do not know why God is allowing so much pain in your life. Maybe last week as we studied what Paul said about hope and suffering and how the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we talked about how we groan inwardly uh, and we wait for the hope that God has promised us as we live in this broken and groaning creation. And maybe as you heard all of that, you found yourself wondering, yeah, but how? How can I know? How can I make it through? See, questions like these are questions about assurance. When we suffer, we need assurance. And what I want you to see today is that Romans 8, 26 through 30 gives us assurance. Maybe you know this, that Romans 8, 26 through 30 is really one of the most important passages in all of the Bible about suffering and God's providence and God's sovereignty and about where we can find hope. And maybe you realize there isn't a person here who doesn't need that assurance and hope. Maybe you need what this text says today, or maybe your experience in this moment is more about looking back and you understand from your past how important these truths are to you today, or, or maybe the reality for you is you're going to need them someday in your future. Whatever it is, my prayer and my hope is that Paul's words will give you categories into which you can put your pain and your suffering, that when you suffer, you will find assurance. I told you last week that I think that one of my jobs as a pastor is to prepare you for suffering. And if you are under the age of 30 in particular, I'm thinking today, I am so glad you're here and I am so praying that today maybe you and your younger years can begin to learn this truth now so that when your time of suffering comes, when the bottom falls out, that you would know that there is a floor of God's kindness and love for you underneath and that you would not shipwreck your faith in those seasons when you are dealt a really hard blow. See, Paul is giving us assurance, and there are two particular assurances we find in these verses, and they are very simple to understand, but they are very hard to actually live out. So let me give them to you. The first one is this. God assures us that he always answers our prayers. Now, our verses today um, are continuing the discussion about suffering that we saw Paul begin last week in verse 18. And, and so you need to understand when Paul begins verse 26 with that word likewise, it's kind of like therefore. He's just letting us know that everything he's about to say in verses 26 to 30 is connected back to what he has just said in verses 18 to 25 when he told us that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Maybe last week when you were here, 
when we ended our study together and you saw those words that Paul wrote in verse 25, that we are to hope for what we do not see and that we are to wait for it with patience. Maybe some of you heard that and maybe some of you wondered, okay, that sounds good. But again, how do you do that? How, how do you hope and wait with patience? And I'm telling you, that these verses we're going to look at under, help us understand how. And the first assurance about answered prayer grows out of what verses 26 and 27 tell us that the Holy Spirit personally intervenes in our lives. See, I think that's what Paul is telling us when he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He is saying that in the midst of suffering. Understand, he doesn't just say Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is a statement made in the middle of this discussion of suffering, what he's already just said. He is telling us that in suffering, the Spirit comes and the Spirit helps us when we do not have the strength to carry on. He helps us in the middle of weakness. And there are two reasons at least, I think that that's incredibly helpful. Two reasons because there are two very strong and disturbing thoughts that often assault us when we suffer. Have you ever heard these thoughts? The first one is this, the enemy loves to come and whisper in our ears, you are all alone. He'll say, God has abandoned you because he wouldn't let this happen if he really loved you. And the second, that way the enemy assaults us is he tells us, he whispers to us, God isn't listening to you because he's not answering your prayers the way you want him to, the way you think he should. So clearly, clearly God doesn't care for you. I've been a pastor for over 35 years. And during that time, I have seen far too many believers get angry with God and sometimes decide God doesn't exist and sometimes shipwreck their faith because they don't have a category for their pain. And so Paul is, is being so helpful when he says, listen, Christ follower, you are not alone. Listen, Christ follower, God is listening to you because the nearness of God and the, the efficacy of our prayers, that's like ground zero when it comes to suffering. And so when you're suffering and when you're struggling and when you find yourself thinking, God, are you here? God, are you listening to my prayers? Paul here is definitively answering those questions and saying, God, God is there by his spirit and he is answering your prayers through his spirit. That is the assurance of these verses. Verse 26 goes on to unfold this even more by saying the spirit himself intercedes for us. And, and so Paul's saying that not only is the spirit present, but he's, he's also helping us as we pray. Why does he do that? Paul next says, because we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So what does he talking about here? Well, he's referring to times when you're suffering. Have you ever been here? You're suffering, you're in pain, and you either become so weary of asking and not getting the answer you want, or you're so confused and you're so confounded about what God is doing that you go to prayer and you don't even know how to pray anymore. You don't even know what to say. Have you ever been there? And sometimes you, you just sit in silence and it's like, God, I don't understand 
what you're doing. This pain is so huge. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. It's just like you're sitting there and your mouth is just hanging open and nothing's coming out. You know, it's beautiful. I think how the Bible understands our human condition. How the Bible recognizes that sometimes in our lives the pain is so great or our mind is just so completely clouded with confusion that we have no words. We don't know what to say. And so what is the assurance? Well, look again, still verse 26, it says, but the spirit himself. And that's on purpose, himself. That's like emphatic Paul's driving it home. The spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And again, as you think about this, it's so good. The the assurance is that the Holy Spirit, remember the third person of the Trinity is not only with us, but in those moments when we cannot speak, when all we can do is groan, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, will take our groans and will bring them through to the throne of God. He takes those groans and he himself groans and he aligns our prayers to the very heart and will of God. Part of what this means, I think, is this. When you cannot pray, the Holy Spirit prays for and through you, even in your silence. This is the only place in the Bible where the Holy Spirit is said to intercede for the saints. And I think it is telling us something about how essential It is to know that the Holy Spirit is praying for us as we suffer, connecting this this groaning, this praying, this intercession with our suffering. It's so powerful. And again, don't miss that the Holy Spirit's intercession is called groaning. I mean, just think about this, that God, the Holy Spirit himself groans with us. We're groaning and he joins us in our groaning. He prays for us in and through us by these groanings that are too deep for words. And that should be such comfort and such great assurance for you. Some people read this verse and take these groanings too deep for words to mean speaking in tongues, but I think that's not what Paul is saying. This text is applied to every believer. Tongues we know is a gift that is given only to some and not to all. So I don't think it can possibly mean that here. Besides that, it doesn't even say that. It just says the Holy Spirit is groaning and we are groaning. I think what Paul really is saying is just that the Holy Spirit works. He works through our unable to be uttered groanings. He works through the groanings of believers who long for the restoration of what is coming. What Paul has just been talking about, what we studied last week, people who long for the pain and the penalty of sin in this world, people who look at the brokenness and the futility of of this creation, and we long for it all to be over. It's, It's believers who stand before a grave and they go, God, why? God, I don't even know what to say. It's believers who are wrestling with cancer or believers who have had failed adoptions or believers who are in the middle of infertility and they just say, God, I just want a baby. They don't even know what to say anymore. Or maybe, maybe it's that even in asking, there's risk. Have you ever felt this? 
It's like, I'm going to ask, but if I ask, that means I hope. And I don't want to hope because I don't want to get hurt again. So what do you do in the silence that comes? Paul says we are helped by the personal presence of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say to you, please look at me. Please listen right now. If you are here today and if this is you, I just want you to know you are not alone. I just want you to know the Holy Spirit is praying with you. He's groaning alongside with you. He is with you. He is for you. And you can have hope. You can have assurance in that. And you can know, even in your prayers, even in your silent prayers where you don't even have words, you don't even know what to say, you can rest assured that the Spirit of God is translating those prayers for you. Maybe you're kind of wondering now, what what exactly does the Spirit do? I, I just used the word translate. That's close. Verse 27 says, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints. And this next phrase is really important. According to the will of God, that's what the spirit does. He intercedes for us in accordance with the will of God. What does that look like? Well, it looks like the father who knows the deep and painful groanings of our heart. And it looks like the spirit who takes these groanings and who translates them into prayers that are conformed, are aligned with God's will. And that means for a believer, there is never a moment when our prayers are not being offered according to God's sovereign will. They are always being heard because the Holy Spirit is always interceding for us and doing that in a way that is lined up with the will of God. And so this promise is, even though you may not see it, even though you may not understand that your prayers are being answered, it means you can rest assured that they are always being answered in accordance with God's will. That's the promise. But maybe you've already gotten here and you've already asked the question that I'm going to bring up. It's a very critical question. It's a very important crossroads when it comes to suffering. And the question is this, does the promise that the Spirit is conforming your prayer to God's will give you hope? And some of you may think about that for a few moments and think, well, I'm not sure it really does. Because what you really want, and I understand this, What you really want is for God to answer your prayers according to your will and according to your desires and all God's people say, that's what we want, right? And that is a very normal and natural desire of the human heart. I mean, that that really is fundamentally the motivation for why we pray. But here's what happens in suffering. Suffering creates this collision between your will and God's will. It, it, It surfaces this tension between what we would ask for and like what would the Spirit ask for, suffering inevitably causes us to evaluate deeply like which will do we want, God's will or our will? And we can say, and we do say, because you know we're in church, oh, I want God's will. And that's really easy to say when the blessings are being poured out and success is just coming and everything is going according to your plan. 
But you know when that question, whose will do you really want, becomes very important? It's when it feels like the bottom has dropped out. It feels like all of your plans have been thwarted. It feels like you've never experienced this much pain ever in your life. That's when that question really matters. And you know, for some of you, that's exactly the tension. You know, I, I hope, I pray that by the end of this service, you would be able to say sincerely, God, I, I trust you. I trust your plan. I am hurting. I am in pain. This is not the life I ever desired. This is not what I, oh, I want. But somehow, God, some way, God, I am choosing to say along with my Savior, not my will, but your will be done. See, what often happens, though, when some people profess faith in Christ, they kind of do it, you know, because they, what they really want is like a bump up to their plan. They want an upgrade. Like they want their plan, but they want Jesus to bring all his resources and put it on their plan. And so they're saying, you know, God, you say you're going to help me and you're going to provide for me. And you're going to bless me. And so I want that. I don't want to go to hell. I mean, who wants to go to hell? I, I want to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? I want the abundant life. So I'm going to come to faith in Christ. And it ends up that their view of Christ is all about God pouring blessing on blessing on blessing on blessing. And they just don't even have a category for suffering as blessing. And so let's just be honest. This first assurance Maybe one some of you don't want, but I hope and I pray that if you don't want it now, that sometime soon you will. See, my prayer is that all of us will come to this place where we love God's will. And so we pray and we hope. And when God's will includes suffering, we receive that. I mean, I, I hope that you will be able to leave today with that mindset, like in your soul, where you're just saying, God, teach me how to live by faith on you. And so this first assurance is that your prayers are being answered because the spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God. The second assurance, so important, God assures us that there's always purpose in our pain. Now, remember back in verse 26, where Paul says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Well, in verse 28, we have a, a second no statement. This time he says, and we know, everybody say, we know. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Some of you know that this is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. I, I kind of think that, that if there was a top 10 favorite verses, you know, survey says, I think that number two on the list would be Romans 8, 28, second only probably to, Rome, uh, to John three sixteen. And some of you would like flip that and you would say this one is your number one. It's just this defining text about so much about how, how we see God and, and how we see suffering. So what is Paul telling us? Well, a couple of things we need to see first. He, he, he lets us know in this that the assurance of purpose and pain is not given to everyone. It's for those, do you see it there in the text? For those who love God. This assurance 
is therefore only for those who follow Jesus. And so what that means for some of us in this room, if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, we're always so thrilled that you are here. We're always so glad that you're with us, but you need to know what I'm trying to do today is show you what a Christian view of suffering is. And I hope that by the end of this that you you would want to become a follower of Jesus. But you need to know that if you're not, what I'm about to tell you doesn't apply to you unless you come to faith in Christ. It's for those who who love God. And, And another way of saying this is I wanna show you that underneath this philosophy of suffering that Paul has, underneath that is the message of the gospel. See, without the gospel, you cannot understand suffering. Without the gospel, it never will make any sense. Second insight is that this promise of all things working together for good needs to be understood in an accurate way. See, some people will read this and say that means everything's going to work out. It's all good. But that's not what Paul's saying. Some people will interpret to say that God always blesses his children financially or materially, kind of a prosperity gospel, but that's not it either. Although God does certainly bless his children in all kinds of ways, in the context here, as you think of the flow here, all this talk about suffering and difficulty in this broken, fallen, groaning world, this phrase, all things work together for good, has a certain specific context. And you begin to see that when you keep going and you look at the next verse, which says it is for those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul says all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, there is this this group of people, Paul calls them the call, this God-loving, purpose-following people. And they have this divine promise over their lives for them that everything works out for good in the context of God's purposes. This is a startling promise. It's, it's just startling. And, and, and maybe I think the, the, the most succinct way that I can put it is that God's children can always be assured that there is no pointless pain in our lives. That is such an important truth. I mean, I don't know where I would be without this hope. I mean, how many times have have I faced difficulties and challenges, hard things in my life, and the hope that, that comes from dealing with all those things is this assurance that this is hard and this is painful, but it is not pointless. I may not be able to see the point. That's not the point. <laughs> I may not be able to connect all the dots, put together cause and effect, but what I know is who God is and what he tells me is his ultimate aim, his purpose, and that is in this passage. That's the assurance. You can write this down. Maybe this will help you understand it. Hard is hard, but hard is not bad. That's a good way to see what Paul's talking about here. Life is hard, and we shouldn't pretend that life isn't hard. By the way, you can go to some churches where they pretend. We don't do pretend here. Life is hard. And yet, for those who love God, for those who called according to his purposes, hard is not bad. 
Hard is not bad. There's a good purpose. I mean, we see it all through the scriptures. Just think of a couple of examples. Joseph in Genesis 50. And if you know his story, it was a terrible story. Some of you think your families were messed up. Have any of your brothers sold you into slavery? That's what Joseph's brothers did. I mean, they're basically putting him to death as far as they're concerned. They're never going to see him again, but that wasn't God's plan. And Joseph goes for years through one difficulty after another, after another, until God finally exalts him and God uses him to save, you know, the lives of uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all across that region. And the brothers show up again and they see it's Joseph. They see it's their brother. They're afraid Joseph's going to do to them what they did to him. And Joseph ends up saying, no, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's this view of suffering. Or maybe it's Job. Read Job's story sometime. That's where I am right now in my reading through the Bible plan. I'm in the story of Job. It's a horrific story at the beginning. Job loses his entire family except for his wife. And at one part of the story, you're wondering if if Job is just saying, God, could we like make a trade here? But he loses his entire family. He loses all of his wealth. He loses everything that he'd ever worked for all of his life. And Job says... The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, what this means is this, that underneath every circumstance in life, underneath every pain is this divine plan that God is orchestrating and working out. See, the idea is that God is constantly working out his good in every believer's life, and nothing in your life is ever outside of that plan. See, suffering can be so traumatic. It thwarts our plans. It unsettles our hearts because something has now come into our life that we cannot control. And so in our pain, we need the assurance that Paul gives us that God has a plan and that God's working that plan out. And maybe again, some of you are asking, just like we talked about before, why? I don't get this. Maybe you're saying, why would I love a plan that's painful? Why would I love a plan I didn't choose? Why would I love a plan that I don't understand? And so the question is, what motivates us to love God's plan when it's painful? And here's the answer. That's why you have to understand the gospel. Otherwise, this doesn't make any sense. And that's really what Paul is talking about in these verses that we're looking at. See, by the gospel, let me just be real specific. I mean this, that God in his mercy has made a plan to redeem people to himself, that he sends his son to pay for their sins. And if those people who hear the call of God, who see the beauty of the gospel, who put their faith in Jesus in the sacrifice that they haven't seen, if they do that, then God says he will forgive their sins and adopt them into his family. And they will be declared legally right righteous and God will make them part of his forever eternal mission to redeem not only them but all of those who will put their faith in Jesus Christ and so those people who receive the gospel become part of God's plan to redeem the world and in doing so they are saying I believe God what you say about me more than what I believe about me have you said that are you living on that They're saying, I believe Jesus died for my sins and God, I'm gonna put my faith in that even though I haven't seen him or touched him. I believe that's real. That's where I'm putting my hope. 
That's the gospel. And so the fact that God has set his love on you and forgiven all of your sins and declared you righteous, that is the gospel. Then the gospel becomes the basis on which you then see everything else in your life. In other words, the gospel gives us a ground underneath all of our pain. It means that when you dig down, 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 the floor of your pain is the gospel. See, a problem, though, again, is that too many professing believers come to faith in Christ because they like the sound of what God can do for them. They like the sound of forgiveness. They like the sound of someone supplying all of their, their needs, of somebody taking care of all of their sins. They love the idea of eternal life. I mean, who doesn't want that? And, and then out of that suffering comes into their life as it inevitably will, and they end up getting angry with God. And sometimes they reject God because they saw salvation as a way to make their life better, to make themselves comfortable. And again, I just want to say it again, suffering always surfaces this question, whose plan are you living for, yours or God? Or in other words, who is sovereign, you or God? And so what Paul is really doing here, and I think you've noticed it, so maybe you've not connected it to suffering, is Paul is giving us this view of salvation from God's perspective. And remember, these doctrinal things we're seeing, especially in verses 29 and 30, it's all in this context of what it means to live in a world of pain and suffering. See, what Paul is doing here is telling us what salvation looks like from God's vantage point. It's, it's not looking at salvation from our vantage point, the bottom up. It's looking at it from the top down. And we have to see it from this angle or we'll only view these verses as some kind of detached fatalistic, like robot creating passage that, you know, somebody enters whenever you come to faith in Christ and you start in this process. This, this is often called the golden chain of the gospel because all of these words are linked together. You can't have one without the other. They're all together. And, and it's like, if you don't see it connected to what Paul's saying, it's like, you know, you didn't know what was going on and you stepped into this process and there was this plan and it was in front of you and it was behind you, but it turns out it is far more expansive and far more glorious than you might have ever dreamed. Dan and I have six grandkids that we're just loving right now, you know, being part of their lives. Uh, a couple of days ago, we, we got to see that number six, who's not quite a year old yet, is about to walk. Anybody want to see some pictures? Too bad. We don't have time for that today. But we are seeing again what all of us as parents saw with our kids, that when they're little, they only know a little bit about life, right? They, they can't see very far. And the older they get, the more they understand. And I was just thinking the same is true of us. The more we enter into God's grace, the more we understand the beauty of what his plan is about, the more we're actually able to see. And so just really briefly, what do we see here? Well, I want to point out that in verses 29 and 30, Paul puts five verbs together 
that serve as this golden chain of the gospel. And, and these five verbs are designed to show us the totality of salvation. And those verbs are foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Now, again, this is God's view of salvation, namely that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those whom he foredestined, he also, predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he, he glorified. This is how God sees the totality of salvation. And so we need to understand that. And then in verse 29, we also need to see this important phrase that further unpacks what Paul means when he says called according to his purpose so we're, we're all called according to God's purpose, but what does that purpose look like? Well, verse 29 tells us, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and we'll talk about those words in a moment, but whatever those words mean, they are linked to what's next, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so this means, in other words, that no matter what you think, foreknowledge or predestination means no matter the fact is the end game of all of this is to be conformed to the image of Christ see God is carrying out his plan and the plan began in an eternity past and that plan is to take a group of people and to redeem them and then to conform them to the image of Christ and that means no matter what happens to you in life, the goodness of God and the mercy of God is connected to this, that there is nothing that you can do or someone can do to you or this broken world can do to you or the devil can do to you. There's nothing that can take you out of this plan to be conformed to the image of Christ. Anybody want to say amen? amen. And that, when you see it, brings incredible hope. Do you get it? That means because you can always know, no matter how painful the circumstances, that God is working in you to make you more like Jesus. See, that's the plan. But once again, the problem is that's not the plan that we always want. Because sometimes, let's be honest, we, we want an easy life more than we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, if we were really being honest today, there would have been a big old amen right there because that would be the truth. Even if we don't want it to be the truth, it, it, would be, it would be the truth. So the next thing that you need to see, third, is that God's goal in this plan is not just to save individuals, not just you and not just somebody in your family or somebody on the seat next to you, but his plan is to save this massive group of people, this family that will be his forever. Look, look at verse 29, in order that he, meaning Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And he's simply saying this, that, that God's plan for redemption is for Christ to be the firstborn. He's the first glorified one. He's the first one raised from the dead. But God doesn't stop there. God's vision is that many, 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 many more brothers and sisters will, 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 will follow in that and will become eventually completely like Jesus. This idea of this massive group of people who have been called by God and justified by God and glorified by God. And they are all before the throne of God, this massive group of people who now look just like Jesus. That's the plan. 
And the point is that your life and my life, it's just one little part of this massive mission of God's glory. See, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you now that one day when you stand before him, one day when you see the beauty and the glory of all that he is, you may then understand all of the ramifications of what happened to you, or it may be, may be that in light of the beauty of our glorious God, that in that moment, you don't even care anymore about the why. All you can see is the who. See, the challenge, though, is that some of us can slip into a Christian amusement park mentality. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're grateful for the rides. We love the experience. We like being part of a large gathering of people. But you know what? If the ride gets stuck, we get mad. And we're like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm going to sue somebody. I want my money back. But that's not the mindset of Christ. The mindset of following Christ is way more like boot camp than Disneyland because you're being trained for a mission. And maybe, maybe some of us need to be reminded that that mission is not about you. So like when you're in boot camp, right? Some of you have been there and some of us don't even understand. We've just read about it. But when you're in boot camp, you don't complain because the push-ups are too hard. Or if you do, it's the last time you complain. You don't complain about how hard, you know, the seven mile run was, that it was too long. You don't tell your commanding officer, well, if I'm going to do this run through the woods, I don't want to get wet. Like you don't say those things because you signed up for the challenge. And again, sometimes maybe we need to be reminded it's not about us. Have you ever noticed this? And maybe you should write this down and talk about it in your life group. But have you ever noticed how suffering can really surface self-centeredness? A little bit of pain and all of a sudden we're all like, oh, no one understands my pain. No one feels the way I hurt. It's all about me. And it's not about growing into Christ's righteousness. It's about why is God treating me this way? And Paul is just saying, hey, it's not about you. You don't need to raise your hand, but who here needed to be reminded today it's not about you? Now, again, God loves you. We, we see that God cares for you, but there's a bigger mission in place. And that mission is God and that mission is God's glory. And so one of the hopeful things in suffering is to be reminded in the midst of this pain that there's something bigger going on than just me and my little issue, even though it may feel in the moment that it's so big. Now, we can't leave without talking about these important words here. I know some of you have been waiting just to see this and to experience what this is gonna be about. Uh, and some of these words are hard. And so I'm gonna start with the easy words, which are at the end and I'm gonna work back, okay? And, and just know that in the, the weeks and weeks that are ahead going through Romans, we're gonna come back to these topics and we're gonna talk more about them. But let's just start with the last word, that word glorified. Everybody likes this word. Everybody's for this word. So we're gonna eventually, Paul says, at the end of this process, be, be glorified. And what this simply means is this. We talked about it last week, that when God has, create, has completed the process of salvation and we are standing before him in eternity, absolutely sinless, perfect resurrected bodies, no more sin, no more wrong desires. We're in the presence of God. We look just like Jesus 
That's the goal, glorified. And we're not there yet. We long for it. We groan in creation when we see the world so broken that it's not the way it's supposed to be. We long for the day when God will make all things right and new. And that day is going to come. That's what it means to be glorified. And then that word justified. Justified is the act of God whereby God declares sinful human beings to be righteous by imputing or by giving to them Christ's righteousness if they put their faith and trust in him. It's this divine exchange. God takes your guilt and gives it to Christ. God takes Christ's righteousness and gives it to you and declares you legally to be not guilty. And as we've talked about several times with this, this means that your relationship with God has fundamentally changed You are a different person before him now because you're justified. And then there's this word called. This word means a summons. It's talking about God summoning people to salvation. This is where he summoned you one day if you have come to faith in Christ. This is where you see your sin clearly, where God invades your world and suddenly your heart begins to beat, to believe in something that you hadn't seen before, to put your trust in a savior that you've never met, to believe in your heart the truth of the Bible and to stake your eternal destiny on it. It is a supernatural thing. And and this supernatural pulling of the heart, that's what the Bible calls calling. For those of you here today, maybe you remember that day, the moment when the gospel made sense. It's like the light bulb came on and you understood it. And you're like, I believe that. That's the calling of God. God called you to salvation. He awakened your mind and you see, and therefore out of that calling, you believe. And then this word predestined. And let's be honest, this word is loaded with mystery. It's a word that's beyond our ability to to fully understand what it all means. And if someone tells you they understand it all, you should stop listening to them right then. But it's beyond our ability. And and, and even how we can reconcile in our finite minds all the things that are at play here. But we can say this, if nothing else, at the very base, it means that God has a plan for everything, especially the conversion of sinners. And God is working out that plan. It means that God has done more than just wind the world up and walk away. It means that God is moving and God is working in all sorts of ways, that God is active, that his plan of his sovereign will is not something that is by accident, but he does what he does with intentionality. And I cannot explain all the implications of that. What I can do is choose to leave some things in tension with other things, things like freedom and choice. And so as you hear me saying what I think the Bible teaches about this, you should never hear me say that you don't have to choose to receive Christ. You do have to choose to receive Christ, but you also need to know that when you choose to receive Christ, he chose you first. You did not do that in your own power and strength. And again, how you fully reconcile all of those things is like way above my pay grade. So we we have to leave them kind of there and say, this is one of those things in the Bible where we end up just kind of putting our hands over our mouths and saying, 
God, I do not understand, but God, I do know who you are. I do trust you. See, this means predestination does that God is behind everything and, and, and that he has loving purposes. And again, remember what I've been saying over and over again this morning. This is so important because it's in this context of suffering. And so we need to understand this term in, in light of this reality that sometimes in our lives, the bottom drops out and things feel like they're so evil and painful and hard and we do not know what to do. It means that we can still ground our faith in God and in his loving sovereign plan to work all things out according to his will. In other words, predestination ultimately should give us comfort. I know of someone who years ago had just lost a third child to miscarriage. And he said, it was in the moment that his wife was being wheeled into the surgery room for a DNC and he was all alone. And, and he said, it was like, one of the darkest moments of his life. And he was just thinking, God, I, I do not know how much more of this we can handle. And he said, I was asking that question, where do you go in the deepest and darkest, hardest moments of life? And he said, my soul in that pain, in that darkness went to this. God, I don't know how, I don't know why, but I know this is good and I trust that you're going to work all of this out for your glory and not my glory, for my good and for my joy. And God, I'm just telling you now, I will not hold you hostage to a baby because you're my king and you're my God and I'm just a man. See, when we understand that word, that's what gives us the power, the ability to trust God. Is really, really important for all kinds of reasons. And then this word foreknew. This word is in close proximity. It's really uh, linked conceptually to this word predestined. And God, Paul uses it here in order uh, to reach even further back into the plan of God. And it just simply means that God was setting his love on us so much earlier than we could ever know. It means that God loved us, that he set his affection on us. That's the actual meaning of this word that way before we knew he was even there, way before we even heard that Christ was the savior of the world, that God had set his covenant love on us. Now, some people take this word, and this may be some of you, to say that what they think this means is that God looks into the future and he knows those who will choose him and therefore he sets his love on those people. And so therefore, based on their choice or on the knowledge that they would choose him, those are the people that he predestines and sets his affection on. And that is a way that many people resolve it. But I want to tell you, I think it is incorrect. And I, I think it doesn't work for at least two reasons. And the first reason is this, that's not what the word means. Foreknow doesn't mean you know something. This word in Greek is a very personal term. I said earlier, I said earlier it could be translated for love. It's about relationship. It's about not knowing just something about someone. It's about covenant love. And so it's something far deeper and, and more substantial than just knowing a fact or two about someone. That's the first reason. But second, and I think more significantly for me, 
that if you think this about this word, then what it, what it's saying is that God's initiative in our lives is based on merely knowing who would choose him. And I think that what ends up happening when you do that, whether you realize it or not, is that you are taking man's decision, a human decision, and you are making that decision more foundational than the sovereignty of God. And I've talked about this tension that we have to maintain in our lack of full understanding, but I want to tell you something as your pastor. This is a hardcore conviction of my life for decades now. If I am going to err in an area like this, I am going to err on the side of the sovereignty of God. I'm not going to err by honoring the choice of humans. So for me, saying that God foreknew means he just knows what we're going to do, that is meaning or taking and making the authority of man the ultimate value of the universe. I think the ultimate value of the universe is the sovereignty of God. And I know, I know that doesn't resolve every tension, but I think it helps in understanding God's purposes in suffering, what we're talking about today, that there are far more things that exist in tension than what we could ever know or realize. And so in the end, God is calling us to trust that he somehow, some way is working out all things, even our pain for our good. And right now we may be saying, God, I don't see it. I don't see how, I don't know how, but at the end of the day, I know you and I love you and I believe I can trust you. See, this is the assurance that we have. And so Paul gives us the assurance that God is always answering our prayers in accordance with our will, his will. He gives us the assurance that, that in our pain, we can always know that no pain we ever have is pointless. And that means, if those things are true, and they are, that means the issue then becomes, can you let go of your plan? Can you say to God, I trust you, God. I believe you have redeemed me. I believe you've called me, you've loved me. I see the beauty of who you are. And so therefore I am not going to hold you hostage to, and you can fill in the blank. You are God and I am not. And I think we're going to see as we keep on in our study through the rest of Romans 8 and then through 9 and 10 and 11, we're going to come to that conclusion that Paul gets to at the end of chapter 11, that in the end, it's up to him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's where we want to go. And we will find ourselves with our hands over our mouths saying, God, you are God and I am not. And so I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to be quiet and still. And I'm going to know that you are God. Now, some of you, as I said at the beginning of this, you're going to have to apply this one day in the future. Some of you, you're going to have to apply it right now because of the pain in your life. And some of you, maybe you're not in pain now, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you know what it is to battle to get to this place because of what you've gone through. I think that sometimes pain is expressed best in verse and in song and, and maybe, maybe second only to the Bible. There's this hymn 
that it was written by a man named William Cooper, and it has been a great help to so many people over the years. Maybe you've heard it before. Many of us have not, but we know one of the key phrases in it. And I, I, I want to conclude by reading uh, this hymn to you because it just gives us this fresh reminder of the power and the beauty and the hope that is offered to us in Paul's words. Here's what he writes in his hymn. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And then listen to this. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. And that's where we'll end. God is his own interpreter. He will make it plain. And I hope and I pray that some of you today, if you've never been able to do it before, will embrace this and believe this and rejoice in this and love this, even though you don't understand, but you know God is good and you know that he loves you and you know that you love him. This is our assurance in suffering. This is God's word for us today. And all God's people said, would you bow as we pray? Father God, (laughs) what an amazing promise that you have given to us in these simple words that can be so hard for us to believe, Lord, because like what we see and what we experience and feel so often doesn't seem to line up. But, but we know, Lord, when we get past and through, we look back and we see and we, we know that one day we will see in full when we are glorified and made like Jesus on the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, just give us faith to believe today, faith to rest in you. Lord, would you just flood our hearts with hope and allow these assurances to be this immovable bedrock, this ground, this floor under our lives holding us up. Lord, you are good and we love you and we trust you and we hope in you. Lord, we pray, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people all said.